Um, so I'm going to speak about a passage, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 15. So if you get that ready, and uh, I've got my title, and I'm actually, I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. And I'm going to talk about this, um, and then I'm going to get us to declare it. And I've really struggled with, with this until we did the declaration there with the offering, because in my early church life, th there was a habit where every preacher got you to repeat after me, and it just felt a bit like that's what you did, and just sort of, it, it just felt a bit like they were just controlling us, and I, I sort of reacted against that, so I've not done it for a long time, but there's a power in declaration, and, uh, and this is the truth that we're going to speak into as, as I talk this morning. And I, I really sort of enjoyed this phrase which comes from scripture in, in 2 Peter 1. For a long, long time, about 20, well, it's definitely 20 plus years ago, um, there was uh, an apostle, Bryn Jones, who sadly has now died and gone to be with the Lord, but he was an amazing man who introduced concepts of the kingdom like never before. Uh, and he came to speak to us, a group of churches um, from elsewhere, when we were, and we met in Sterling. And he came up with this phrase, and he got us to repeat after him, I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. And it's something that's been a living word that really has struck with me. So whether it's just through my habit of taking notes, or whether it's because it's something that I actively mixed with faith at the time, or whether it's the power of declaration, just repeating it. But this truth has strengthened me and helped me through numerous difficulties and challenges. And so I want to impart some of that to you today. Because it is a challenge when you're sitting there, isn't it? Um, listening and uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good and sometimes it's easy to get something and sometimes you have to work a bit harder and sometimes you're hungry or you're tired or you're thinking about what you're going to do afterwards and there's all sorts of distractions partly that's natural but partly that is spiritual and the enemy does not want us to receive the word um, because the word definitely changes us and so we have to be aware of that that it's not just you having a bad day um, as Jan was, was there, there is an enemy attack that wants to dumb us down, to oppress us, just to make us give up. Well, what's the point? You've just got to, you know, last through how long have we got? And, you know, you can have these negative mindsets, but actually the Word of God is living and powerful and is able to transform our lives. Not just that we get a happy ticket to heaven, um, but that we can transform the communities around us, as that great declaration Phil led us through says. So I want to urge you, um, how do you listen? And, and there is an art to listen, and I've always had a habit of taking notes. Now that works for some people, doesn't work for everybody, but sometimes the active um, note-taking helps you to listening, or we've put our um, preachers on, on our church website. So do you go back and listen to them? Because every time you listen to something, you, you get that bit more. Um, I'm a terror um, in our house for just liking a few films regularly. <laughs> John's already shaking her head. I could watch certain favorite films again and again and again, or I've just, um, so what if I know them off by heart? Um, I've just finished a book that I've read countless times, and John says, what are you reading that for again? So I've now taken to getting it on a Kindle, because I can read it in the comfort of my own Kindle, and John doesn't know it's the same book again. <laughs> But not just that sort of comfortable familiarity, which is part of just that reassuring, you know, nice warm feeling you get. But sometimes you do get more. If you watch a film several times, I never spotted that before. 
or that's why that made sense. And this, the same is true in the truth. The Bible is far more complex and far more enriching than, than a film or a book. But the same thing happens as you read again and again. Then um, you, you do get more each time. And what I hope is that's true for preachers. Even though I feel that, I seem like I'm saying the same thing again and again, I'm hoping that each time we listen, um, we get a bit more. And I was really, really encouraged as I read through this passage. There's one, um, couple of verses, verses 12 and 13. I'll just skip to those. Um, so I will always remind you of these things. Come on. <laughs> Even though now you know them and are fully established in the truth you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the bodies. So there you go. There's every preacher's excuse to keep hammering home the message again and again. But I think that's true because that's what Scripture's like. There's so many truths that it's the same thing said again and again in different ways. And it's part because we just don't get it. You know, you can hear phrases thrown out about culture of honor or being powerful people or having freedom. And we, we get it, but, but do we get it? And so just repeating it actually helps us to, oh my word, I never really saw, saw that. But also, I believe God does re reveal truth progressively. So as you're established in one thing, it leads on to something else. And you find that the little knowledge that you had starts to grow as, as you develop things and, and meditate on them. So, I um, don't know if that's an excuse or just a conviction, but uh, I'm going to be saying some things that I may have said before and some things you may have heard before, um, but my plea is that you don't switch off and actually my conviction is, is that you'll you get some good food um, from this. So, what am I going to say today? I'm going to say this phrase, and will you say it with me now? and then we can sort of come back and you perhaps have a bit more conviction, but let's at least get it declared as a truth. I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. And uh, we're going to read through the scripture and you'll see where that becomes relevant from. So I believe what I've got to say is an encouragement, but also provocation, because you really can't listen to this and do nothing at the end of it. So it's a good idea to pin your ears back and take some notes. Um, said that, haven't we? Um, yeah, I think one of the things, uh, Phil, when he introduced me, called me Steady Treddy. One of the things that's in me, uh, some good solid habits. And sometimes I sort of, I'm a bit down on myself and I'd, I'd like it to be sort of more exciting and dynamic and a, you know, a bit sexier and a bit more, you know, out there. Um, but, you know, Steady Treddy is good, actually. I'm learning to, to love some of these good faithful habits. So I'm coming today as a friendly family physician get my tongue around that, and I'm prescribing a good diet and some regular exercise. I'm going to give you some habits to strengthen if you're already doing it and to start if you've not had your, your exercise yet this week. Um, so let's value not just the new and exciting, but also the routine and the steady. Anyway, let's get to scripture after all that, uh, all that chat. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 15. His divine power has given everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness 
to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, or other translations, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I soon will put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. I sort of picked this passage and then thought how on earth can I squeeze all of that into a preach and there's no way I can squeeze all of that into a preach. So it is going to be um, a canter through there. Um, but there are some, some great things to pick out from that. I'm just going to sort of work through and, and pick out the, ver the, the words and some of what God's shown me for that. His, His divine power. I just love the fact that this starts with God. Sometimes, as, as uh, John Luke was reading the scripture there, we can hear stuff and we can feel a sort of urgency and then suddenly something happens and we flip on the inside and it turns into must try harder, must do better. Um, and this really starts out with it's God's divine power that kicks all of this off. It's because of Father God's input into our lives. It's because what Jesus made the way and, and did for us that any of this is possible. So before we get into where this goes, we've got to, got to, got to be convinced that we can do nothing except by the indwelling Holy Spirit, except by the life and dynamic power that we are now as new creations. So his defined power, that is just such a relief that it's not dependent on our resources, our expertise, our, you know, having got it. And as well as it being God's initiative, God's power is behind us. God has promised in Scripture that he will complete the good work in us, says in Philippians, until the day of Jesus Christ. The good work he's begun, he's going to carry on. So he's committed to this process as much as, as we'd like it to be. And it's really just one of those phrases, just those first three words there. You could just meditate on that and just have the whole preach on, on that. But as I say, we're going to canter through this. So his divine power has given us um, different, I'm uh, picking um, the new international version because um, it has, it avoids the word virtue, which was a, an odd word I found hard to sort of put into normal English. Um, so, but it's not the version I normally, so I'm, I'm feeling a bit hesitant. Sorry for uh, apologizing there. Um, it's given us, or other words, is uh, granted us. And I really sort of stopped on this, on this phrase here about giving us. Um, it's, uh, it's just like having a treasure or a bank account. But I don't, this, this film's come into some of my analogies, um, which might sound like I'm a real film buff and I watch lots of films. I'm, I'm pretty useless, but there are a few that have stuck with me and I just watch them again and again as you've got the message. Um, but imagine a bank account. Imagine a, a huge inheritance that was suddenly yours. 
Um, I don't know if you like Harry Potter. If you don't like Harry Potter and if you've got a problem, please come and talk to me afterwards. I, I won't be offended, and I hope I'm not offending you. Um, but it's something we sort of, you know, waited until our children were mature enough to handle this, but then we, we sort of used it as stories. And there's a lot of illustrations of the sort of, you know, good versus evil, the loyalty and friendship, some of the other good qualities. But one of the pictures in the story of Harry Potter is he was uh, looked after by his aunt and uncle who really did not want to have to do with him at all, and they kept him in a cupboard under the stairs. And it was only when he got to the age of 11 that he found out that all that while his parents had died, which is why his aunt and uncle were looking after him. All that while he had a huge vault stacked to the ceiling with gold. Now, if only his aunt and uncle had known, they'd have treated him very differently. Um, but imagine that life, just living in a tiny cramped space with hand-me-down clothes, with everybody hating you, no one wanting you to be around. And all the while you had a treasure, a, a resource, power basically available to you. And how many of us Christians live like that? We live in a shut-down world. We sort of shut the door because we can't bear to face what's out there. We, we don't think it's right because we don't think very well of ourselves. So, you know, our clothes of, you know, our character qualities, what we're happy to let the world see, it's all very dowdy and, and sort of second-hand. We borrow something that someone else has, has found from the Bible and we sort of tag that on ourselves. And that really is a picture of how many of us live, which is a travesty, to live like that when you have such a rich resource available to you. Um, so let's not be stuck in the cupboards under the stairs. But God has given us, we have this huge inheritance. Do you know what the inheritance is? Do you know what Father God has made available to us? Uh, and there's just lots to meditate, to ask Father to show us. Is this actually just a fairy tale to us? Is this just a story, something that You've heard something every so often someone will stand in church and, and say, you know, we've got all of this, you know, what Jesus has done. Yeah, 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 you know, this is my life. Does it look like any of that's happening? Well, it is available and God has given. That is a, a past tense. It's not he will give. It's not when you're good enough he'll give. It's not when you've gone through a program or a leadership training or you've done amazing things. God has given to us everything we need for godly life. Um, it's already there. It's a resource available to it. But we do have a choice. We can ignore it. I'm just sort of not going there. It's too painful. I don't want the disappointment of failure. I'm not going to go there. You could just sit in the warm glow thinking, check me out. Got a great vault. How, how smart am I? You know, but actually do nothing with it, which would be very sad. And Christians can do that. You know the right words to say. You can sort of come out with the, the, the verses. You can tell someone else how amazing God is and what resources and treasure is available as an inheritance to us. But unless you actually use it, unless you go to Father, say, this is a situation, this is a need, this is what I'm reaching for, this is me stepping out in faith, believing, unless we use it, go out and find out what it is and then see what God wants to do through us in line with it, then it will just stay as a fairy tale. So there is an expectation as we read these verses that we actually do something with what God's given. It's not enough just to you know, be happy in the thought. It is an expectation that we go on and do something as we're, going to, as we're going to see. And that phrase goes on then, given us everything that we need for a godly life. So whatever situation you face, whatever challenge there is, whatever temptation there is, I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. God has given us the resource available. And 
it's not just to escape from temptation. I was preparing this preach, and, and Andy a few years ago gave this illustration of how Scripture doesn't always give you a neat little verse to tell you what to do in any situation. And he used the illustration of a young man going to get at work um, and going to get a drink from the drinks machine, and suddenly he's struck almost lustfully by the sight of this beautiful woman who's there. And uh, what do you do in that situation? There isn't a, when you go to the drinks machine at work, says the Lord, um, scripture in the Bible. And actually you could construct, I was just having a think about this, I found at least four scriptures of what you could do in that situation. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but with temptation, he'll always provide a way of escape. So, you know, you can sort of battle with your thoughts and think, no, I rebuke those, those thoughts, those lustful thoughts. Do you run? 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the youthful lusts. Um, do you invite her to church? 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, God desires that all are saved. Um, do you chat her up? Do you sort of propose marriage? It's better to marry than to burn with passion. 1 Corinthians 7.9, you know. So... If you just have a list of scriptures and you don't have sort of some rules that some church leader has told you what to do interpreting scripture for you, um, you know, how does a young man cope in all of these uh, situations of temptation? Or it doesn't need to be a young man. Um, we need to learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit. God has given us everything that we need to meet any situation in a godly way. And we can draw on all that God has put in us and our companion, the Holy Spirit, to, to lead us and guide us and to know what um, any of those are, or one of the many other options you could have from that. But a godly life isn't just avoiding temptation. It isn't just keeping your noses clean until the, the uh, time you reach heaven. There's so much more than just being good little Christians. There's so much more about the kingdom of God and extending God's kingdom in the situations, the sphere of influence that each of us have. Um, and... I really remembered again a phrase from a, a, another godly man way back when who challenged the church. You know how when you, you greet people, you know, or you're just leaving, oh, take care. Um, it's just a little phrase. He said, why do we want to take care? Why do we want to keep ourselves safe? Why do we want to always fear that something bad might happen? And we just sort of take care, you know, hope, hope nothing bad happens. And he threw out this challenge. Why not instead say to one another, take a risk? You know, and uh, I'm sure not the first person to say that. But let's just start to challenge and provoke one another. Are you taking a risk? Are you keeping your life so together, so controlled, that you actually don't need the resources of heaven? Or are you sort of being a bit more daring and a bit more, you know, taking a risk and putting yourself out there? And actually, I sometimes think that when we come to church, you know, do we want everything so well-ordered and so organized and so predictable that we don't need the Holy Spirit to turn up? Or is there that element where... If God doesn't show up, we're not that great, and it's going to look pretty pants. And I think, you know, we've all seen that, that there's times where, you know, there's a struggle and someone just plays louder and what have you. Um, but we don't want to be like that. We want to be out there so that if God doesn't show up, nothing is going to happen, which is the incentive to, to go to God. Um, so everything for a godly life is not just about staying safe. It's not just about avoiding temptation. It is about seeing God's kingdom extended through your s sphere of influence. And then we kid on as we follow through verse 3. We're only halfway through verse 3 at the moment. Um, through our knowledge of him, 
And all of this comes just as we sort of, everything that we need comes through our knowledge of him. How well do we know him? How well do we know Father? How do you get to know anyone? And you get to know people by spending time with them, don't you? You can sort of know about someone. You know, oh yeah, yeah, you've you know, got your name, I know where you're born, I can get on Wikipedia and what have you and find out when, when you're born. But do I actually know you? And uh, how much do we spend time in worship? How much do we spend time meditating? How much do we spend time reading scripture, which is God's love letter to us, telling us all that we did? And could you put the, the other slide there? Andy, um, a few years ago, put this challenge out. If you find it difficult to spend time with God and you just feel, you know, what do you do? This is sort of, it's not in any way, it's not from scripture, so it's not something you have to do. But if you really feel you need some sort of structure, this is a way to spend an hour. 15 minutes reading the Bible, 15 minutes worship, and you can either just sing your own songs or get a CD out and, and worship along there. 10 minutes praying in English. 10 minutes praying in tongues, and then 10 minutes actually shutting up and listening. Father, what have you got to say? And just as a sort of a basic template of a way to spend time with God, if all you did was did that one hour a week and gave time to that, you'd be amazed at what happened. And the more you did it, the more you think one hour is nowhere near enough and you'd want to do that. But rather than this being a religious act or something that you feel you've got to do, just try it and, you know, spending time with Father God, learning who he is, learning what he's given us, is really what, what all of this is about. That unless we find out, we don't have anything on the inside. So pray and meditate. Uh, and that's just a suggestion as to how you can do that. A lot of this knowledge, really sort of the thing that caught me was about the truth of scripture. And God has revealed himself um, through, the, through the Bible. And the Bible is an amazing book but it is actually a collection of 66 books written by so many different people over thousands of years. And a lot of it is in language that isn't readily familiar to us and it refers to people and places. And so unless you know who Jabez is, when it says about, you know, Jabez, you know, oh, where was that from and, and what was the story? And you can very quickly get confused and, and lost. Um, and I just wanted to sort of share a bit about how I've read the Bible because I'm um, GP, busy job, busy life, father of four amazing kids, got a lovely wife, and, you know, there's not been lots of time. I've not done hours of Bible study, and that's why I often, you know, follow a passage or have a story rather than constructing as a Bible teacher might do. Um, but I have had some things, and I brought in just a couple of books. I like reading the Bible, and I've read the Bible in lots of different ways now. Sometimes you can just start at Genesis and read all the way through Revelation, and if you've never done that, it is a great thing, just seeing the whole thing as it's, as it's written. That's a great thing. There are books that do it chronologically, and this is one that I, I did um, cover to cover, and what it does is it just sort of pulls together all the verses. So when you're reading through um, the Gospels, it has that one line it might be of when Jesus got baptized and it reads it from each of the gospels and then you move on to when you know he, he raised the widow's son and each of the gospels and so it's a bit sort of bitty but when it starts to read from kings and then it brings in what David said in the Psalms and it marries them together suddenly the Psalms make a lot more sense and then when the prophets are prophesying about a kingdom and so you read about the king in Chronicles and then you read about Amos and how he's speaking into those it sort of makes a lot more sense. So it, it's a bit more of a, a sort of working it through. But there are lots of reading plans and there are different ones. 
I'm reading through, sorry, cover to cover. I've no idea who wrote it. Selwyn Hughes and Trevor Partridge. Um, I'm hoping it's still available. It is a few years old. Um, 4.99 from the Good News Center. Newent. There you go. Um, <laughs> a little while ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, reading through the Bible, the reading plans, and just the habit of reading the Bible through in a year, and you can do it three or four chapters a day, depending on which plan you, you follow. Um, and that, you know, 20 minutes every day, um, and you, you could read through the Bible in a year, and that's that's an amazing, you know, store and, and heritage. Um, you can just sort of, I was talking to Jan, and, and so she sort of, there'd be a verse that's really caught her eye, and, you know, or it's either from a preach or something God's reminded her of, and you just get a concordance out, or you get, you know, if you've got electronic Bibles, the, the, the search function, or just on, on the web, biblegateway.com, um, and these, these online Bibles where you can just sort of put in a phrase or search, and what was that verse, and you half remember two of the words, and you put it in, and, and there's 20 verses, and, oh, that was the one. But just like sometimes if you get onto the internet and you sort of go from one thing and then suddenly something else catches your eye, that's another way of just studying and, and finding out what happens, that you find one verse, then you get your study Bible or your internet search, and it leads you on to another verse. And, and you can just sort of find yourself skipping around the Bible and, and really getting quite excited by something that you've found. Um, and most Bibles have got an, a concordance in the back of them. Or you can get, you know, just a book that is a concordance where you look up a word and it tells you where that word is in the scripture. Jan uses Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which um, is, is huge, but is, is very, uh, very fun and actually quite good to use. Um, do you get together with other people? And just like you have book clubs, you know, do you get together with others? Why don't we read a chapter together? And then you can get together um, and just sort of talk about the, the book of Ruth or you talk about you know, the verses you found from, uh, from the Old Testament and or, or, you know, pick a letter from the New Testament and just have a book club or a study together. Um, as I said, taking notes from the preach and then reading them again because you only take so much in at the time and you can go and, uh, and listen again, um, listening online. So I hope I'm getting the message across here that there's just such a rich store but I think what the verses in the passage from 2 Peter is saying is there is an expectation that we, we actually find out what has Father God given us? Who is Heavenly Father? What's He like? And what has He intended for us? And actually just some, some effort required to do that. And the other thing I got, just nearly forgot that I'd mentioned it, the 100-verse Bible. Okay, this is written by Mark Stibbe. And uh, it's great. It just picks out 100 verses from the Bible and then has a little sort of daily reading about each of them. But to go through the Bible in 100 verses and just sort of see key points, um, it, it's predominantly written from the Father heart of God. So it's very much God's love letter to us. Um, but there are all these things that are just good ways to get more of the Bible in you. Um, and it's really this challenge, you know, as we're reading this verse here, um, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Father God loves us so much, and there's so much treasure that he wants to impart into us. But how much time do we give to that? How much time do we just watch regular TV, go on Facebook, get your Twitter out, and, and tell the world what you're thinking? You know, there's got to be a balance. None of these things are wrong. But if we're doing more of that than we are, you know, finding out the God who loves us so much, then there's got to be a balance we, we, we get right there. So move on to verse 4. 
through these things, he's given us, and I just love the fact that there's so much in this passage is about repeating, it's about emphasizing um, the same thing again and again. It's God wanting to expand our understanding. In verse 3, it said everything. In verse 4, it says great and precious promises. God has given us great and precious promises. Do you know what the promises of Scripture are? I think I've hammered that home enough. Um, God has given us everything. Verse 3 said life and godliness. Verse 4 says to participate in the divine nature. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are new creations. We are not just you know, little old me with something bolted on the side. We are new creatures. There is a newness and a power of God um, alive inside us. The divine nature, as I said. What is God like? Creator, healer, loving the unlovely. Um, and if we participate in that same nature, then that's who we are to other people around us. And uh, you can just get really excited about imagining the, the power of God living inside us, transforming our circle of influence, our environment where we are. Verse 5, for this reason, and really just emphasizing that these great precious promises, there is a response from us. We can just ignore it. We can just sit in the warm glow. Isn't that lovely? Or the better thing, let's do something in, in response to that. Um, and again, other places, um, Peter in, in the letter here is, is saying that, James um, chapter 2 verse 17 says about faith without works is dead and just to have these thoughts and to have the truth to yourself but nothing comes of it um, is not glorifying God. The great message, grace message, message of grace and God's goodness that we are not saved by works, we're saved by faith. Um, doesn't, it isn't a charter for laziness, it isn't a charter just to say sit back and, uh, and watch the world go by. Uh, until we get to, to heaven. So, make every effort. This is a clear, diligent, um, give earnest effort phrase. Um, it really is requiring something of us. Moving on, to add to your faith. I sort of took a step back when I said that. Add to your faith. Is there something, other, word, other translations said, supplement your faith. We've got to be very careful that we get this right here. This isn't because there's anything lacking in our faith. Our faith, all that God has done, and our trust in Jesus is wholly sufficient. There's nothing we can add to that. The adding to is more of this um, faith without works is dead. That it's just, it's not that you need to do more to be acceptable to God. And we've got to always, always, always remember that. That faith is the bedrock of everything. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is and he rewards those who seek him. Um, that it's the way that we receive these divine promises is by faith. So there's nothing taking away from what faith does, but it's all emphasizing what's our response to that. What do we do with what God's given us? Okay, so we add to our faith these qualities then, and these are what grow from faith. So add to your faith goodness. Other translations say, say virtue, it's a sort of excellence, it's a character quality, um, it's that sort of godliness in you. Add to your faith goodness, there's some character, there's a change in you that will happen from that. And I like that that's the first thing that happens, that all of this temptation to what's the response to faith, first of all, it's, it's valuing me and it's growing me, it's what I am as a child of God. Just as we've said many times uh, over the past months, 
who we are is far more valuable than what we do and it's always keeping everything in that focus that we, that we come out doing things but secure first and foremost in what Father God has done for us and then in what he's made us to be and then acts of, uh, of kindness follow on from that. Um, and again as we'd emphasized before that it's growing from goodness, growing in knowledge, meditate, read, um, memorize, study, share, think on these things, study and store up. Um, I came up with this little little phrase, point of view scriptures. You know, sometimes there you are at the drinks machine, what do I do? And you know, if you've been storing up good treasure in you, then the Holy Spirit will remind you and there are suddenly these challenges, what do I do? And you know, God reminds you the truth from scripture help when you're needed uh, when it's needed there's no temptation you face except what you're able to bear and God will always provide a way out from under it um, and all of these scriptures will will strengthen and help you but it's not going to come out if it's not gone in add to your knowledge self-control I nearly fainted at the prospect of unpacking self-control here it's a it's a huge subject and I think there's lots in there that is, is very relevant. Um, Self-control, you actually have to have some sense of self, some sense that I am a worthwhile you know, person, I am a somebody. Because um, without that, then you just sort of go with whatever, you know, someone else comes along, yeah, 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 they must be right. Um, different ideas can sway you this way and that. But it starts, self-control is recognizing that you are a powerful person because You've got what it takes. Can you put the other side up, Barney? Um, you've got what it takes to meet the situation in a godly way. His divine power has given us everything that we need through life and our knowledge of him who called us. That we are powerful because of what God has done for us. And that sense of, you know, I am a powerful person, I am a child of the living God, is what helps us to be self-controlled that if we have what we take it takes inside us, we can respond well to any situation, no matter what is happening around us. Everybody else might be falling apart, you know, and you might be the only one who actually thinks there's something wrong here and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna follow the, the crowd. John Luke got uh, a, great, a great badge one time. He said, only dead fish go with the flow. And uh, I just love that phrase there. So. Uh, you know, we can respond well. You're not dependent on how the people around you react. That God has changed our nature and we are able to apply ourselves as we receive the resources of heaven. We can stand against the spirit of fear, the spirit of deception, the weak wills just go with the flow that might be there around us. God has given us a spirit of self-control and not of fear. So as we learn self-control and as we learn to manage ourselves, we become clearer in the boundary between what's mine to do and what's for other people to manage. And a lot of people would like to put their problems on you. You know, if you start to get your life together, you seem to have, you know, learnt a bit from God, you seem to have, you know, be able to handle challenging situations. Then some people say, oh, you need to fix this, you need to sort that out. So-and-so's got a problem and they need you to do something. And suddenly other people's problems become your responsibility hang on, who said it was my responsibility? I can offer help, but it still remains an individual. We have got to keep the sense of rightness 
about what is mine to deal with and what's not mine to deal with. And these, these boundary issues uh, are very important that we don't overstep and take away from someone what's actually theirs to manu manage because that actually is not respecting them, that's not dealing with them as a powerful individual. That keeps them weak, as all the aid agencies say. So if you give a man a fish, um, then uh, you know, you'll feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, he'll go up the Loch and uh, drink beer all day. But uh, no, that's not quite what it says, is it? No, teach a man to fish and he'll, he'll, never, he'll never starve. But, uh, remember the wrong one there. Um, but yeah, so you know, we empower people by helping them in the right way, not taking over from them. And, and so there's all these issues about self-control, about managing yourself, and then in turn helping others manage themselves. So remember you're powerful, you have got it what it takes. It carries on, um, patience, self-control, um, perseverance. There's just this quality that is not e evident in a fast food culture. It's not evident in a, a victim mentality where the whole world is against you and it's everybody else's responsibility to fix you and to sort you out. Um, but not giving up, keeping on at it, just saying, no, this is what God's shown me. I'm going to keep at it even though I don't yet see the good come from it, but I'm nonetheless convinced that God is in it and, uh, you know, just not going to give up on that. Um, so not following this fast food instant gratification society. And there are keys to this. Um, always staying grateful. If we just learn how to thank God for what he has done, even if it is a small thing, as we do with testimonies. My apologies to Andy Fulton, who um, came up and said, I've got a great testimony. And I said, yeah, that'd be great to, to have that. And I was suddenly so keen to get on and do my preach. So sorry, Andy, because there's a, a testimony there of God's healing. Um, but we must celebrate the good things that God, uh, God does, even if they seem small. And as we celebrate the small thing, God's going to uh, entrust us with more. Mustn't grumble. I nearly did a whole preach on the people of Israel grumbling in their tents. And uh, there's just so much that is awful about grumbling and about moaning and complaining. And it really is just the opposite of testimonies and thankfulness. So we mustn't grumble. Um, okay. Moving on, brotherly kindness, mutual affection, love. These are qualities that we really do want to grow and develop. And it does take... Um, being intentional. It does take effort. It's not something that actually happens, but it is something that will flow from us growing in our knowledge of God, as growing in our own self-control, growing in godliness. It will produce the outward, you know, I can't just have this on my own. How can I help my brother? How can I look after um, my immediate family, if you like, the church family, but also our neighbors around? And, and how do we grow in that? And recognizing that there is always a choice in any interaction. Do I respond in love and believe the best? Or do I respond in fear? What will happen? How will that hurt me or affect me if I put myself out there? And every interaction always has this challenge of do we respond in fear? If I give what I've got, then I won't have anything to meet my own bills. If I spend time there, I've got a garden that needs to be dug. I've got painting, you know, need to get on with in my own house. How can I give someone time? when I've got all these needs. And if you have that fearful you know, response, then we're never gonna grow in our ability to love one another. Um, but as I put myself out there, remembering that God has given me everything that I need, then we can give generously to others and trust that God is going to pour back 
into our lives. And it's always important just to keep that short account with God. Test me and know me, the psalmist said, and see if there is any anxious way in me. And we can very quickly slip into anxiety. Um, but if we prize our relationships, if we prize what God is growing amongst us, and we want to develop and grow in brotherly love and affection, um, then we'll, we'll protect these relationships. As it goes on, if these qualities are increasing, and there is that expectation um, that it's not just that you start it and, well, I've done my bit now, but you keep on working at these things, then it will keep us from being ineffectual and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord. And really that's what we're hoping is that we do become more and more fruitful. We see more and more fruits, more and more good things happen because of what God's done in us. So as we learn and develop um, what God has done in me, then it's not that I just become a better and a happier person, which could lead to me being more of an island. Rather, it flows out. And um, there's a great verse uh, I read in 2 Thessalonians, um, Thess 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 3 to 5. But basically there... God was praised because of what the people around saw of increase in love and an increase in faith. And all that we do, if it outworks like that, so we find increasing faith, increasing love um, in us, then it's going to result in more praise to God. Okay, forgetting this, verse 9. Whoever does not have them, these things increasing, is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. This is such a key verse, and partly what was happening this morning is it's very easy sometimes condemnation comes in when we forget what God's done. So John was provoking us there, John Luke was provoking us there. If we remember what Father's done for us, if we remember the good things, if we keep this gratitude and this declaration of the good things, then it keeps us from forgetting. Because what does it say? forgetting them that they've been cleansed from their past, past sins. They become short-sighted and blind. That is a terrible situation to be in. As you start to forget what God's done, you stop seeing what God's done. And that is a slippery slope downwards that talks about, Psalmist says, you've lifted me out of the miry pits. Just that picture of a pit, just a big hole in the ground with muddy, slippy walls that you can't get yourself out of. You can very easily end up there if you forget what God's done, if you'd stop reminding yourself if you, you're cynical when other people come with what God's done in their lives, then very quickly you can start to forget. And as you start to forget, you become blind. So let's not do that to ourselves. And let's not do that to one another. Let's be quick to provoke and encourage one another. Let's be quick to give testimony for, for what God's done. Because it's so easy that forgetting what God's done, we talked in recent months about forgetting which side of the cross you're on. If you forget what Jesus has done, forget what his his uh, sacrifice bought for us, that we are now here by faith and God's grace and no longer by works, then you forget that and you slip into condemnation because I must try harder, I must do better, life isn't good and it's because I'm failing. And it's very easy to get into that. We slip from being a son into being a slave. We slip from resting in God's grace to striving in our own effort. And uh, we really must work very hard not to fall from grace into works. So the answer to all of those negatives is know who your dad is and know what he's made you to be, remember. So I'm not going to read through, I spent a lot of time on, on the early verses there. It's a great passage and it's definitely worth going back over and reading. 
But as I've said, I've been emphasizing this morning, this, this is an encouragement, but it's also provocation. What are you going to do now with what you've heard? God has done so much for us and in us. Do we just sort of sit with the warm glow of that? Or do we think this demands a response from me? But remember that you have got what it takes to meet any situation in a godly way. And it's not just, you know, having the wristband, what would Jesus do? Or quick prayer, you know, help me, help me. But by meditating, by drawing, by feeding yourself um, from Scripture, you will find that you have the mind of Christ and you will respond in the right way. The Holy Spirit is a great companion and he will quickly say, it's not, I'll go away and pray about it and come back tomorrow and see if she's still there at the drinks machine. Um, you have got what it takes to meet any situation in a godly way. And so as I said, as a, as a family doctor, I'm prescribing a good diet, reading and meditating on the Word, and regular exercise. Let's develop these habits. Let's not be lazy and just sort of have that sort of sloppy grace attitude. Um, but let's develop good habits of reading, meditating, and then exercising, of getting out and making use of the good that God's given us. And let's be quick to testify and thank God for the good thing that he's done and for the huge inheritance that he's saved us into.